0: my joke in here is that in Harcourt Street we've taken out the glass ceilings as part of the refurbishment (laughs) and to a large extent we have now.
1: Hello there thanks for joining us on the Women in Leadership podcast I'm Angie Mazzetti. Catherine Guy is this week's guest on the podcast. Over 50% of our partners are women. Catherine Guy is managing partner of Byrne Wallace one of Ireland's most prestigious law firms employing over 200 people. Byrne Wallace is based in Harcourt Street in Dublin and Catherine is currently the only woman to head up one of the country's top ten law firms and she's just been reappointed to a second term by the partners. The mixture and the interaction between
0: men and women bring is just so beneficial to a business, it's so beneficial to decision making, it's so beneficial to proper and challenging debate that actually gets you to the right decisions at the end of the day. Burn Wallace has almost equal ratio
1: of men to women throughout all of its leadership teams. And Catherine believes that
0: this creates a challenging and positive dynamic. I cannot speak enough about the difference or the dynamic that I think that that gender mix creates um, at every level of the business.
1: Catherine talks about her journey to leadership which didn't always run smoothly. She started with an eye-watering job
0: at the bottom rung of the ladder. I'm quite fair skinned and actually I recall doing four days of solid photocopying in an old photocopier and actually getting sunburn in my eyelids as a result. Later on, Catherine will be talking about leadership style and how she's become fascinated with organisational
1: behaviour. She'll also be talking about being a mother, about work-life balance, about networking, and about her involvement with the new Children's Hospital Group board.
0: When I was asked if I would join that board, um, it felt like a privilege and it also just felt like it was fate, that it was a, a bit of payback, if you like. But first, she talks a little bit about herself. My name is Catherine Guy and I am a lawyer by profession and what I do at the moment is I manage, I'm the managing partner of a law firm called Byrne Wallace, which is based in city centre Dublin on Harcourt Street and is a great law firm with about 210 people working in it.
1: Now, I believe you are the only woman who is heading up a law firm in the in the city now, in, in Ireland now. Is that true?
0: God, I, I don't think I could profe- claim to be the only woman in Ireland. I suspect there are something like 2,000 law firms, I think, around Ireland, and I'm quite sure that there are many which are run by women. But at the moment, I am the only woman in a top 10 law firm which is managed by uh, a woman. There have been other women managing partners, it's just managing partners typically rotate through terms. So some of the other brilliant women who've run um, similar sized or larger law firms have gone through their terms. So I'm a unique kind of in that respect just right now.
1: I believe you've just been reappointed to the position too, is that true?
0: Yeah, that's true. I started the job in 2012. And law firms, it's, it's kind of like accountancy firms as well. You typically do literally a term. It's kind of presidential, but without the helicopter. Um, and you do a term, and our term here is for three years. And then I was reappointed by the partners in about June of this year to do another three years. So I'm just at the beginning of the second stint. So tell me about yourself. Where did
1: your career start? Where did you go to college? Where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? And what did you do then?
0: Okay, so I, I was... I'd, have, I'd say I was educated and probably half reared by um, the Jesus and Mary nuns in a convent school in Our Lady's Grove in Goatstown which is no longer really a convent school but at the time when I went there it was heavily run by the nuns and quite a small school and contrary to common wisdom I loved school to be honest with you I, I really enjoyed that environment very small school um not a private school um, but very strong education and work ethic and it was an all-girls school as well. So I went from there into UCD um, and I did law. That was kind of accidental because actually when I did my Leaving Cert first I missed it by one point. It was in the days when you could actually calculate on two hands your Leaving Cert points and I missed it by one point the first time around. And my father then refused to pay for me to go to study anything else. So there was a massive row for about three days and a standoff. And I ended up repeating my Leaving cert. And I got law quite comfortably the second time round. So um, I went in and I did law in UCD, which was for three years and was a great experience. It, it, it was then, and I think it probably still is a relatively small um, group. I think there were probably only about 100 people in our class or something like that. So it made for quite an intimate learning experience um, in that small group, came out of UCD and went straight in a couple of months later and did the entrance exams for the Law Society, so it's Black Hole Place and you do a traineeship course, you get the entrance exams and then you have to find a traineeship or an apprenticeship. You work through that for three years, and then eventually, after all of that, you qualify as a solicitor. I believe
1: that's very tough, just even getting those entrance exams, is it?
0: It is, and I would say it's probably got tougher. I mean, I, I remember going down, I did my finals from college in early summer, as you do, and I think the exams for Black Hole Place probably started in September, and I just have this vivid recollection of being driven down the quays by Dad down to Black Hole Place the first morning and in all my life I'd actually never felt physically sick going into an exam and I felt physically sick going into the exam and it obviously didn't go that well for me first time round. I, I went in and I did the commercial corporate exam and I came home and got into bed for five hours. I was flattened. Now I got the exams thankfully but I do remember, that, remember them as really tough and challenging um, and I think probably they haven't got any easier. With the, I see the generation of trainees that we have coming through the office um, and, and it hasn't got any easier.
1: Now, did your father have a legal background at all, or what was the the insistence that you do law?
0: No, not at all. Isn't It's funny, my mother and father um, never had college education. They come respectively from County Clare. My dad was the eldest in his family and he left school. Very bright man, very intelligent, should have gone to college, but economic circumstances just meant that it wasn't possible. So he actually went straight in to the civil service where he spent the bulk of his career. My mum actually did not do her leaving certificate until she was in her 50s. She, again, just by dint of background, by dint of circumstance, by dint of, I think, illness in her late teens, didn't finish out her education, but had actually worked her whole life and built a career as a bookkeeper and then as a business owner. She was very entrepreneurial, did her leaving cert in later years and actually completed a college degree in UCD in later years. So I, I think um, mum and dad valued and still value education very highly were absolutely determined that the four daughters were going to have maximum education to create maximum opportunity and i suspect the thing about law was i i had shown an interest because i wasn't somebody who had a very strong leaning for the sciences or i wasn't particularly outstandingly brilliant at art or anything like that i was kind of one of those generalists who was good at the arty type subjects history and english and all the rest of it so it seemed like a natural fit and a good starting point
1: now then you did you start straight away into this company I did. A former
0: version of it. I did, and that makes me sound like Miss Havisham, to be honest with you. I mean, I feel like I'm probably going to, you know, finish out my days in the corner with cobwebs growing over me, but I did. Now, it's been circuitous because originally, when I left college, and this is back in the late 80s, and then qualified, um, it was very difficult to get traineeships. Um, I think at that stage, a lot of my class members, you know, they didn't even go to the bar or do the black hole place exams they went off and carved out other careers in accountancy or they went abroad and actually there were some stories of people actually having to pay to get traineeships whereas it's quite the reverse now in the current market but I originally got a bit of work experience for summer in a smaller firm called Byrne Collins and Moran on Pembroke Road and through some family connection I can't remember I went in Um, did the work experience, in fact I'm quite fair-skinned and actually I recall doing four days of solid photocopying in an old photocopier and actually getting sunburn in my eyelids as a result, (laughs) Uh, that's my recollection of the work experience, but I'd actually landed in the meantime a traineeship somewhere else but um, by that stage um, the three partners Gary, uh, Barry and Jim, I'd actually carved out a role for myself so they kept me on as a trainee, I worked with them for years and then that firm merged with another firm, Hamby Wallace, about 20 years ago this year and created what's now Burn Wallace so it's been circuitous but yes essentially I've been with the same firm one way or another for more years than I care to remember
1: unfortunately. <laughs> Tell me about your journey through leadership within the company how did that come about?
0: If I'm being honest it probably came about in a very unplanned fashion because um, when I started career-wise I didn't have and until relatively recently had no aspiration for example to be managing partner, that was not um, on my agenda at all. I quite liked the law, I liked the practice, I had started as a generalist and then um, over the years had become I suppose a specialist on, on commercial property development and as you can imagine in years gone by was very busy really enjoyed the the clients that I worked with, really enjoyed the challenge of the work because it was less about the property and more about the commercial structuring of the deals and that really appealed to me. Um, And so I think my first real leadership role was when I um, took over heading up what was then a very large property and construction team Um, and that would have been, everything is either pre-bust or post-bust isn't it really? And that would have been a good number of years ago and it was a very large team and a very busy team. And I suppose I went in with it thinking this is about management. But I think within about 12 to 18 months, my thinking had converted to what it was. And part of that was the coincidence of the collision between my role as the head of that department and then the onset of the economic crisis and the immediate impact that that would have had, particularly with the property team, with our property clients. Moreover, I mean, there was probably a time lag before it genuinely affected us, but it started to affect our clients and how they behaved and how they operated and the type of support they needed. So there was a demand to show leadership both for the team but but and for the clients um, and so that was a number of years which for me was a really really steep learning curve because I think while legal training and solicitor's training is very good there still is not the level of training you need to make it fully fit for purpose for, for the management and running of a business which is fundamentally what it is. A Lawyers can't stand apart and be in some way academic separate and apart from economic life and so i had to learn a lot we had to learn a lot as a group of partners but i in particular had to learn a lot Um, so that was my first experience Um, and then um, the opportunity arose in in relation to the managing partner because as i say we have succession planning and people do terms Um, and i had genuinely not thought about that i had my children were quite young at that stage Um, One of them had a particularly difficult start in life. I worked very hard and have done all my career. I'm one of those people who does do the hours. And I kind of felt at that stage I needed to focus a little bit somewhere else. But I was encouraged, actively encouraged to do the role. Um, And I I, I did, I took it on and it again has been a steep learning curve. And I think when I look back over the first three years, I think to a large extent I'm changed by it. what I've learned. I've learned so much. I, I haven't nailed it. Um, I still have a huge amount to learn, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it for the last while. So so that's how I've come into it. Sorry, that's a very long explanation of how I ended up in that role. Um, and then after the first three years, I still have the support and backing and confidence of the partner group So, to be p- reappointed for the second term. So I have another three years to see this out and lots that I think I need to do over the next three years or whatever's left of it
1: I had a look at your website before I came here and there's a lot there's a good mixture of men and women
0: in your team do you
1: think that creates a different dynamic totally
0: totally so we have over over 50% of our partners are women now some people would say well that and that does it's fair to say I suppose that that does reflect how the profession is going because more than 50% now of the entrance into the solicitor's profession in particular I don't think it's quite the same at the bar or um, it's a it's a fifty percent or a shade on fifty percent majority, but we have had that kind of mix. I think for a long number of years. This is not just on the back of the current generation, um, so it has been. Um, it's been a feature of the business. So in a way, it's not novel to us. It's the way the business always has been. And but I cannot speak enough about the difference or the dynamic that i think that that gender mix creates um at every level of the business both in terms of i suppose we have a senior leadership team we then have a broader leadership team which is made out of the partners Um, and i see it every day just the interaction it's um what what the mixture brings i won't say it's just what women bring but what the mixture and the interaction between men and women bring is just so beneficial to a business it's so beneficial to decision-making it's so beneficial to proper and challenging debate that actually gets you to the right decisions at the end of the day so again it's not new and it's not a new feature it's something we've lived with but i can see from where i am now just how important it is
1: now that has evolved did it come from a time when there were kind of you would be in the minority being a woman you'd be a minority and was that dynamic different?
0: Um. Yes, probably. I mean, it has it has evolved in our place in Burn Wallace. It probably evolved quicker than it has in other law firms or in other professional firms. But it is fair to say, when I started um, in the business, um, I was probably the only female solicitor, certainly um, at the very beginning in Burn Collins and Warren when I qualified. In I think I was well. Sorry, that's not quite true. There were two of us um, when we merged and were a bigger firm. Um, yes I was in the minority and so I would be very accustomed to being the only woman in the room or the only female voice in the room and I would say that yes it probably had an impact to some extent on how my own career actually developed um, and I suppose the speed at which I navigated or didn't navigate uh, promotions or progressions what and way? all the rest of it yeah. um, well, if you, I, when I was thinking about talking to you. I I was just looking back. You don't actually, I don't spend a lot of time reflecting on what went back, but it's funny the things that pop into your mind. So generally in response to questions like this I would say no 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 I've never encountered any issue and in fact my joke in here is that in Harcourt Street we've taken out the glass ceilings as part of the refurbishment <laughs> and to a large extent we have now but it was funny I was thinking literally just about it the other night and I do recall a discussion when I was trying to make the move from I suppose solicitor up to partner level and we were way less sophisticated in those days and there weren't as many structures and it was a much smaller organization Um But actually I recall and I'd completely forgotten that I encountered significant resistance Um, and at the time um, I was doing well and I had all of my KPIs and all of my numbers and I was ticking all of the boxes um, and couldn't actually understand why I was encountering resistance. And when I asked why I was encountering existence, funnily enough, nobody else could think why I was encountering existence. And ultimately, it did happen. But I had actually blanked that out of my memory in some <laughs> ways. But but it's there, and I, am, and I suppose somewhere in my subconscious, I am conscious of that, that I came across that at some point. Now, it wasn't radical, and it didn't take years or anything like it. Um, do you think it's unconscious bias, though? Do you think that's what that is? Yes, I probably do, and I think it was probably more prevalent then. And, OK, so... And I, you know, unconscious bias is kind of, to me, it's one of those, I would never have heard the phrase before three years ago, and I know there's been a lot of study on it, and we do incorporate some of that into our own equality training, for example. But I think we all have to recognise it is there in all of us. And so I would say that probably um, at the time at which I was having that discussion, there was probably one other much more mature, more senior female who'd had a different career trajectory and was kind of part of the structure of the firm. So it wasn't as if I was the only woman coming through, but I was certainly probably the only woman of my age and generation actively knocking at the door and likely to be knocking at the door in a short order. And I suppose when I look back on it, I think there probably was unconsciously maybe a sense that i would maybe not be able to navigate maybe the networking or the business development or the client relationships which are predominant were then predominantly male and still to a large extent are um that i mightn't be able to not navigate the, those as much i don't think there was any question in fairness over the competency or the work ethic or all of that sort of stuff so it must have been something else but in fairness when i challenged that um my colleagues clearly challenged themselves and got themselves over the hump on that so um but there is unconscious bias and it still lurks around and, and you do have to be aware of it and you do have to check yourself I mean you can't prevent yourself I think forming first impressions for example um but I think what is good is just to be aware of it and to challenge yourself whether you are just being influenced by your own background or you know your own experiences in life or whether you actually are thinking about something in the correct way
1: You mentioned a key phrase there, knocking on the door. Katrina Hallen from Microsoft often says women just sit in a silo and don't knock on the door. Do you think it's really important to knock on the door and not just wait to be discovered and the light to shine on you in the corner?
0: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, so I can only speak about my own experience. I mean, I've heard Katrina speak on the subject, but I can only speak about my own experience and my own experience was and I know that I sat for months and months and months waiting for somebody to notice how extraordinarily brilliant I was because of course in my mind I was extraordinarily brilliant and I was doing a great job and I was churning out the numbers and I was managing the client relationships And I waited for somebody to notice that. um, And then it finally dawned on me that actually nobody was going to notice that unless I went out and actually said it. And that's what started the discussion, which initially didn't go quite as fluidly as I'd like it to have gone, but ultimately was successful, for want of a better word. And what I find interesting is, and I feel like an old woman when I'm saying this, but I'm watching the new generations come in and they are so much more sophisticated in many respects, particularly the women, than, than I feel I was. They have so many other tools at their disposal. They're so aware of things like their personal brand. I mean, some of the, the, the lingo, the, the colour of their personalities, which is a new one on me that I learned recently. I've just learned that now. Yes, it is. Yeah. And socialising <coughs> things is another thing I've learned recently. But they're so much aware of that. Um, and yet, what, what I think is interesting, and it is a broad generalisation, there is still a tendency for them, with all of that, with all of that amazing education, with all of the opportunity that is there. There is still a tendency for them to sit back and to wait to be noticed. And for me, I was trying to think how how would you, what would you call that? Because you know we do a lot of leadership development work in here, and so how would you name that, or, or what's the piece of advice? How would you say to how would I say to our teams? What you need to do is the following. And the best thing way I could think of articulating it that made sense to myself was that you actually need to take responsibility and ownership for your own career a bit. And I still think that that is something that is probably lost on younger women and actually younger men. But let's talk about younger women for the moment that for all of that they still don't actually take responsibility and ownership, not in a threatening or an aggressive way, but actually feel responsible for making their own development as opposed to expecting an organisation or management or the world to recognise it for them. That might sound hypercritical, it's not meant to be, but I actually do think it's a fundamental flaw.
1: Now you mentioned that you do leadership development and training and pipeline organization do you bring mentoring into that do you do one-to-one mentoring how does that work in Bern-Moss?
0: Um Okay so the leadership development Training that we do and the programs that we do actually are relatively new to us in the very structured way that we do them now. So we we have launched um, what we call our very own mini MBA, um, and we've rolled that out to partners, men and women, and to associates, men and women, over the last year, and it's been really it's been really good, really interesting. The feedback you get, and it's not about technical law, it is about personal development. It is about coaching skills, it's about communication skills, it's about recognizing I suppose your own personalities, how you communicate, you know, how that comes across to other people. In that, out of that actually, we are going to be developing more structured mentoring. There is mentoring because, I suppose, but not in a terribly structured way in the sense that we have very team-based, business unit-based, very team-based. We have a very identifiable head of department or head of team um, and part of the role of the head of team and part of the role... the the express part of the role of partners is to mentor and coach people within their team so they accept responsibility for the technical development for I suppose the aspects of personal development you know client relations communications all of that but we are going to probably move that into something again which is more structured we do have a mentoring program um, for people who have aspiration to i suppose be promoted or come through to the ver- to the most senior partner so we have a mentoring where they're buddied up or partnered up with somebody who's more experienced more mature further along that path um, and it is mentoring in the true sense. It's not a weekly sit-down or anything like it. It is a check-in from time to time. It is a sense check. It is a bit of a discussion about what's troubling, what's not troubling, You know, what's understood, what's not understood. Um, and, and that's proving to be beneficial. So we can see if we expand that further and make it more structured, it's likely to have more advantages down through the, the ranks.
1: Does it involve a certain element of work-life balance? Do you bring that into the whole
0: mentoring thing? Yeah. Um, It hasn't been an explicit part of it up to now but in terms of the mentoring but work-life balance balance is extremely important to the colleagues that I work with Um, Now that sounds like an odd thing of saying to say I suppose it has become more I, I think in the last few years it has become more apparent that more people men and women would trade if you like more work-life balance for uh, career advancement or for financial perks or other perks of that nature. I don't know what's happened to us over the last number of years. I suppose on a personal basis, we've all gone through different trials and travails, um, but it is becoming a recurring feature. And and in fact, for me, I think it's personally, I think it's really important because I think if you're even approaching it selfishly, selfishly as an employer, If you can respond to that, if you can facilitate it in some small way, and let's face it, we are a medium-sized business, not with endless resources, so we can't be as flexible as maybe that everybody would want us to be, but we are finding small ways um, to accommodate work-life balance, which is yielding... A lot of positive response from people and and you can see it just makes them happier. I'll give you one example, which I I love this example and it doesn't typically necessarily fall fully within the definition of work-life balance. But three days a week here in our basement car park, we run a boot camp where we bring in three personal trainers and a broad mix of staff here and people from all sorts of different backgrounds doing all sorts of different jobs in here go down and put themselves through a fairly grueling hour of being shouted at by personal trainers and doing the type of exercise you probably never actually voluntarily want to do in front of a colleague but I think what's really interesting is the feedback I think actually when I finish this term that might be the only legacy that I've left behind (laughs) which is kind of disappointing. We manage it and we accommodate it within the working day so we make it easy for them to do it. The fact that we made the effort and went and sussed out what would you like to do, what would be interesting to you and it's outside the normal work environment it's just it's been hugely beneficial so it does actually allow people to get a bit of work-life balance because they get their exercise in facilitated and really good professional training um, during the working day so that's been one thing. and and there are lots of that's a very in some ways a trite example but to me it's just one that just really resonates because it's kind of a fun example and it's slightly different to the normal work-life balance Mm -hmm. stuff so we're working hard on it flexible hours all the rest of it I mean it must be
1: good for creativity and just getting some fresh air in the lungs doing the boot camp absolutely I'm
0: not really sure that there's that much fresh air in the basement car park but (laughs) it it works I mean it's (laughs) perfectly it's basic but it's the right space and they have um, they have great fun with it but you're right it is um, I mean I'm a convert to exercise in the last few years in terms of just managing your headspace. not Mm -hmm. you know less about it's great for your vanity and it's great for your fitness levels and it's great for your bone density but from personally what I find most beneficial out of it is just your headspace. It actually does help you to manage stress. Unconsciously, I think it helps you to manage stress better. So that can only be good. If there are people, if there are per week 60 people or 60 sessions, you know, mm. having that kind of training and that kind of balance put into their lives, that can only be beneficial for us.
1: I think when you mentioned you know that it benefits men as well as yeah. women to work on the work-life balance Absolutely. thing I think that's coming through over and over yeah. again and that because women put these things on the table you know it makes it okay for men to talk about them too and they're finding this in parliament all sort over of, in northeastern Europe as well yeah but that it's filtering now into companies and it particularly when it, with regard to pregnancy leave or maternity yeah. leave rather and when uh, paternity leave is actually put on the table I mean people would have laughed at that a few that's years true. ago but you know that even recognizing that fathers have a role
0: absolutely you know, i, I think mean what do
1: you do for for people That's well i
0: you know again on the work-life balance I, like i have loads of colleagues here who are young dads or not so young dads who are very actively involved possibly in a way that a generation of dads ago wouldn't have been they do the kids drop-offs in the morning they have to do the pickups they're very actively involved they have to go to the parent teacher meetings and all the rest of it And I am actually really happy to say that here in Burn wallace and that's not something that's to do with me or to do with having a managing partner, I think that's just been part of the culture and the ethos, that is fine and okay. I've never worked, thankfully, in an organisation where it hasn't been deemed kosher, man or woman, to to do what you need to do, Um, and so... Personally, again, I have I have two small children. I mean, there are days, like there will be tomorrow, when I have to go to a parent-teacher meeting at 9 o'clock and I have to bump back another meeting in the office, and that's okay. And it's not okay for me just because I'm the managing partner. That is okay because that's okay. And, and so we do promote that. We try to be as flexible as we can within reason. Paternity leave is part of, of, of what we do. Funnily enough, relatively few men actually take it up in its fullness and in its entirety. So the focus still remains on um, maternity leave, I I think. It's funny, even my male colleagues here who have you know as partners or wives have babies the focus still for them seems to remain on the maternity leave and not so much the paternity leave so i don't know if that's about dodging a bullet or i don't know if that's just i don't know what that's about it's there but it's just not interestingly yet taken up as fully as i had anticipated it might be can
1: i ask you about your own authentic leadership style this is all the buzzwords at the moment authentic leadership style what do you think you have i would imagine just by looking at you and listening to you that you do have a very authentic leadership style what is that style
0: Okay, so I have to admit, this is like, as I said to you earlier, this is like having your own personal brand and the colour of your personality and helicopter pairing, parenting of the millies. When I heard authentic leadership, I actually, okay, I know what the words mean, but I actually don't know what it really means. I, I think what it means, or what I understand by it, is that you're yourself, um, in a way. Um, and so rather than aspiring to be the version of a leader that you think you should be rather than you know being more aggressive or more assertive just for the sake of it um, that you just try and maintain your own personality and your own core values actually to be honest um, so I think I do that um, that might be I mean at the beginning I thought that was because I wasn't terribly sophisticated and I wasn't a trained leader if you know and so I didn't know the tricks or the tools but I think I've learned over the last three years that it is impossible I think to lead people, to gain their respect, to motivate them, unless you truly actually believe in what it is you are talking about, and I think you can only truly believe in what you are talking about if you actually believe it, and if you show um, that you actually believe it. So, um, to the extent that I have a style of leadership, I think I'm pragmatic, I think I am, um, I'm not bad in a crisis, and that is something um, that I wouldn't have said about myself ten years ago. Um, I say it now and I think that's on the back of particularly personal experience, so I've learned that most things won't kill you and the world doesn't end on most things. So I'm quite good at that. Um, I have learned to be more considered in my thinking um, and not to be reactionary or knee jerk in my thinking. I think that's important. Um, I really like people, which sounds like a very trite thing to say, but I am interested in how people develop. And I am interested in watching people and help, I suppose, supporting people in getting to the best point that they can. And actually by the best point, I also mean the happiest point that they can, because to me, best and happiest are probably the flip side of the same coin. And I've become a complete nerd about organisational development because I, I love the notion. I haven't thought about this before, but organisations, it's like um, swarms of fish, I suppose. They tend to move in a direction and how you can shape it and how you can influence it and how they go through different cycles. And that to me is really interesting because even over my relatively short term so far as a managing partner, but over the last number of years before that in Burnwallis, it's been really interesting to watch how it's moved, how it's shaped and how personalities and leadership styles actually can influence that. It seems to be a
1: happy place to work. Can I ask you about any other projects that might be close to your heart? Are you you involved in any projects outside of Barnwells that are close to your heart at the moment?
0: The main one is probably, um, I am a member of the board of the Children's Hospital Group. So the Children's Hospital Group is the board which was set up to essentially... um, oversee manage if you like the integration of three existing children's hospitals which are based in Dublin which is Temple Street, Crumlin and Talla Children's Hospital um, and to integrate them and merge them into essentially a single hospital and then that single hospital will in due course relocate to the new hospital building which hopefully will be constructed on St James's campus. The whole construction project is overseen by a different board so that's not kind of our remit Um, so that is an active board that is a reasonable time commitment. Um, on a personal level, what is um, what I like about that and why it's particularly close to my heart is I have two sons as I've mentioned. One of them is eight and a half now um, and when he landed into the world he did so um, in a blaze of not quite glory um, but with significant problems, heart problems and lung problems, um, which in, in the first instance mitigated him ever making it out of Hollow Street alive. Um, but he was moved from Holland Street over to Crumlin and he, we, give or take, we probably spent the guts of two years sleeping on floors. I'm really familiar with the skirting boards in Crumlin. There aren't actually skirting boards in Crumlin. You have a floor that rises to meet the wall. I'm really familiar with living in rooms where you can touch both sides when you stretch out your arms. Um, and I'm very familiar obviously with just the ph- phenomenal care in quasi-Victorian surroundings in some instance, that the, that, that, that team lives This was prior to the new cardiac unit being constructed. So in some ways when I was asked if I would join that board, um, it felt like a privilege and it also just felt like it was fate, that it was a, a bit of payback, if you like. So that is particularly close to my heart and I'm I uh, i try, I'm, I'm trying to do my bit to make sure that that project happens because I fundamentally believe in the project. I fundamentally believe in the rightness of, of what's being done. I believe in the location, I'm not going to get involved in the debate around all of that, but I believe is that it should be done. And it should be done as quickly as possible. Um, So I'm immersed in it. Good for you. That sounds terrific. Tell me about networking.
1: You probably don't have much time for networking, do you? If you're working full-time. No, but I do. But I think, to me,
0: actually, it's part of the job. To be honest with you, because if you think about it, like as a managing partner part of my job is is to to ensure that we uh, that i'm an ambassador and i'm, a, I'm a fa- one of the faces of Wallace, along with the many other faces here um, and so it is part of the job and um, to be out and networking and to make sure that we're known um, and to make sure that people are aware of who we are what we do have, have very good we are at what we do and um, so it's not a question of whether you have time you actually have to find time to um, to network and actively to be honest with you encourage my colleagues to do the same and particularly actually um, younger women colleagues who find it particularly challenging.
1: Tell me about uh, your favourite phrase or motto. Is there a piece of poetry or a proverb or something that your mum said to you years ago? Anything that inspires you and keeps you going on a day-to-day basis? I
0: think my mum would love me to quote a proverb but I haven't got a proverb. I tell you I have two two phrases that pop into my head. One is the title of a book that I read Donkeys years ago um, and it's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway and although it's not a motto per se or a proverb i i think it's a really good sentence but when you're looking at something now whether it's a piece of work that you have a blank spot about whether it's a really difficult conversation with a client or with a colleague I think you have to take a deep breath and, and go in and do it anyway. And the other one is, is actually something my grandmother used to say to me, which is, and it's not probably very grammatically correct, but she said, you'll never learn younger, i.e. just do the thing now. You'll never learn younger. Um, and I find myself trotting that out to colleagues on a regular basis. And it's, they're probably, they deliver similar messages for me. So it is about the feeling, the fear factor, acknowledging the challenge but just getting stuck in and doing it notwithstanding. You know,
1: you mentioned both your mother and your grandmother there. Are strong women an influence in people's lives, do you think?
0: Um, I bloom and hope so, because I have two sons. <laughs> um, I think they are. I think they are. Again, I mean, there's broad generalisations. I come from a very matriarchal family in the sense that I have a very strong mother. I have three sisters so and, and no brothers. Behind that, I have a series of grandmothers and great-grandmothers who were very formidable characters in their own right, not scary, but just very strong characters doing completely different things but probably outperforming anything I have done in their own context. So, you know, being the managing partner of a law firm sounds all very grand and everything, but when I look back at some of the experiences and the life experiences that my grandmothers and my mother um, have dealt with, it probably far outstrips um, anything I've done in terms of bravery, in terms of challenge, in terms of the application of just sheer intelligence, um, in terms of entrepreneurism, and particularly in the case of my mother, so I, I, think, I, I think if... I, I would like to think in my role as a mother, um, and I have no daughters, I have sons, but that I would be strong enough to provide confidence to them, a clear sense of direction, a clear sense of leadership, if you want, um, that nothing is impossible, girl or boy, man or woman, that you can do anything once you set your mind to it. And actually to instill in them what I would call a strong work ethic as well, because I think that's the single biggest thing that has not been imparted to me and to my sisters by our mother and by our grandmothers actually
1: that was Catherine Guy managing partner of Byron Wallace with those parting pearls of wisdom to women to feel the fear and do it anyway and remember you'll never learn younger do the thing now acknowledge the challenge and get stuck in If you're new to the Women in Leadership podcast, go and hunt in our back catalogue where we have many other interviews with leading women from all walks of life, each one with their own pearl of wisdom to share. We're also in the market for sponsorship of the podcast, so please do get in touch with us if you want to get involved in sponsoring an episode or a series of programmes. You can find all of the podcasts on the website womeninleadership.ie or you can find us on iTunes, Women in Leadership and then Ireland. You can also email us at infowomeninleadership.ie. At Until the next time from me, Angie Mazzetti and all the team, goodbye and have a great week.